Hi everyone, Demetrius McRae here, your online campus pastor here at Calvary Christian Center. Welcome to our podcast. May today's message bring healing, hope, and ultimately transformation. Hope you enjoy the message. I am, I am not Apostle Rayleigh, but uh, I'm one of his sons. And if you've seen the son, you've seen the father. That's what they say, that's what scripture said. No, Apostle is in Panama City, and aren't we glad about it, church? He, he is not only installed, what an incredible Sunday last Sunday. I'm just still reveling in the holiness of the moment, the power of the moment. And I want to say this again to you. When the head goes up, the body does too. That was an invitation to everybody in this room to get to a higher level in God that you have never been in before. And I think last week was sacred and holy, and so we're championing him and, and Pastor Dawn as they, uh, in this assignment, of course, they're going to be back, you know, this is home, you know, but, uh, but while he's out, you, you just got me today, you just got old Pastor Chuck. <laughs> oh, I love y'all. Y'all know how to make somebody feel real good, amen? Uh, are you ready for the word this morning? I'm on assignment this morning. It's John chapter 2 in your Bibles. John chapter 2, familiar passage of scripture. Uh, but God has sent me with a prophetic prerequisite for all that God is doing at Calvary, our mission statement of pursuing revival, uh, leaving legacy, build unity. We're going to talk a little bit today about how to, we're going to release purpose. How many believe you got purpose? Yeah, you got purpose. You got purpose. And uh, there's a prophetic prerequisite that God has given me for you to see all that's in you released out of you. And I believe that's what I'm just going to preach on for just a little bit. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. I feel one of them old school, Holy Ghost, sweaty preachers coming on me. Um, I'm just going to warn you. If you're a first time guest, just keep coming. Just keep coming. Uh, John chapter 2. This is what the word of the Lord would say today. If you've got it, say amen. It says, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they run out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to do to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of the purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water and they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it had come from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and this is what he said. Every man at the beginning sets out good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. But you have kept the good wine. Until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. And manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. God sent this preacher to you this morning with a word from heaven to tell you there is one, one prophetic prerequisite left for you fulfilling all that God has prepared for you. God simply told me to tell you this. He wants your water. 
If you're looking for a title, there it is. He wants your water. Let me pray and I'll preach. Father, thank you, Lord, for what I feel and what I sense in this room. Speak now, Holy Spirit. Change us forever. Transform us by your word and we give you praise in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody who believes it, say amen. You can be seated and as you're seated, I want you to look at somebody and say, he wants your water. He, he wants, he wants your water. If there's anything I believe you have to understand this morning is that we have more in common than the world would like us to think. That we have more things in common, especially in the body, than most of us really understand or know. We have a commonality. And if you are trying to figure out these commonalities, let me start here. That we all have one commonality that we are all searching and looking for. This commonality is something that most of us will spend our entire lives trying to discover and find. It is this nebulous thing called purpose. All of us have one, but the tragedy is that few of us will actually find the one we have. Look at somebody say, you've got purpose. Yes, you've got purpose. You, you have purpose and purpose and purpose. God made you and gave you purpose. The gift that God put on the inside of you that before he ever gave you breath, uh, he gave you purpose. In eternity, before time, God breathed some things down in your spirit and he called the thing he put on the inside of you purpose. And when God saw that it was the right time for what was in you that was in him, God took what was in him and pulled it out of himself and put it into time. And he called that you and you have purpose every person in this room has a purpose if you didn't have purpose you wouldn't be here oh you're quiet but I'm gonna preach it anyway if you didn't have a purpose you'd have done been dead a long time ago the fact that God left you in the earth the fact that there is still breath in your lungs the fact that you're not six feet under the fact that you're not incapacitated and have nothing going on tells me that God is not finished what am I trying to say I'm trying to tell somebody in the room that if you're not dead God's not done Oh, I wish I would have had some people that would have given God some praise uh, because the fact that the enemy keeps attacking you and hitting you and hitting you, the fact is that the breath never left you. And just because he hits you and the breath didn't take you tells me that God is not finished with your life. You've got something left to do. Purpose is a profound gift that God gives to every single person that takes a breath on the planet. You have purpose. Purpose is a profound gift that God gives you. He gives you purpose. That's what God gives. He gives you purpose. And so when God gives you purpose and breathes into you life, then the next thing he wants you to do is work to discover it. You are in charge of discovering your purpose. God wants you to discover. And let me tell you, purpose is only discovered when it's pursued. If you don't put any time into discovering your purpose, you'll never find it. Purpose is discovered by the people who see it as a worthy pursuit. Because every time you deny yourself the pursuit of purpose, you reject the possibility of you releasing the potential that's hidden on the inside of you. That's why you got to make sure that you come to church every time the doors are open. You're in a small group somewhere. That's why you're doing grow track. Why? Not because it's churchy, but because it's an opportunity for you to get down inside some things and see what does God have in store for me 
It's why you can't take worship off and you cannot praise and you cannot give God glory and you can't just take a song off because you never know what song and you never know what moment that God will take it as a moment to reveal some things about you because here's what I learned. Can I preach it like I feel it? Because this is what I learned about worship. You can be talking to God about him and in the middle of that, God can talk to you about you and reveal some things about you that you never knew about yourself. In fact, if you're trying to learn something new, I dare you to take 10 seconds, throw your hands to heaven, and give God some praise and say, God, I'm going to tell you how awesome you are. Speak back to who I am. You have purpose and you must discover it before you die. Heaven is banking on the fact that you will not leave this planet without figuring out who you really are. Because what if I told you, you are not what your daddy did? And you're not what you did. You're not your past. And you're not what people are saying about you. And you're not the gossip. Come on, somebody. And you're not the trouble. And you're not the Facebook post. And you're not the mistake. Can I keep going? You're not your failure. You're not your one-night issue. Come on, somebody. You are greater than what you know. And heaven is banking on the fact that you will discover after you get through all that stuff that there is a you that you don't know yet. And that you is full of purpose. There are too many people who are six feet under that never got a chance to discover the real them. You have purpose. And I know what some of you are saying this morning. Pastor Josh, I get it. Purpose is profound. It's powerful. It's needed. It must be discovered. But how do I discover purpose? I'm glad you asked. Because if you are trying to discover your purpose, the first thing God will give you as a clue, blues clue number one, I got a four-year-old, y'all, come on. Blues clue number one is he will give you passion. If you're trying to figure out what you're called to do and what God has prepared for you, the first thing God gives you is passion for something outside of yourself. Oh, because passion is the fuel of purpose. If you're trying to figure out what am I called to do, just look around your life and look at all the things that you don't get excited about. And then look for the one thing you do get excited about. Uh, that the chance that you get to do it, it opens up something in your soul, in your spirit. That the time you get a chance to do it, you don't just wait till you are there early trying to figure out this thing has given me passion. It's the thing that while everybody's running away, you're running too. It's the thing that keeps you up at night and you say if I ever got a chance to do that for the rest of my life I would take it no matter how much they pay me or don't pay me how much they give me or don't give me I'm talking to some people in the room that's got to get reacquainted with passion because the moment you get reacquainted with passion you are on your way to discovering purpose are there any passionate people in the room this morning And the first one I gave you is obvious. You need passion for purpose. But the second one is the one you don't hear much. But it's more necessary than the first. Because yes, you need passion. But if you're really going to see your purpose come to pass, you're going to need a problem. 
and the whole church got quiet. Because we live in a whole generation that runs from every problem that comes their way. And what you don't even know is that sometimes for God to unlock the purpose within, he has to bring a problem without. Because if the problem never comes, it would never unlock the purpose that's within. Some of you don't even know, but that's why the same thing, the same problem, the same issue keeps hitting you square in the face. It's because God keeps bringing your blind date called purpose to your doorstep and it's dressed as a problem and you keep slamming the door in its face you need not just passion you need a problem you do know that everything that was ever created was only created to solve a problem I've got a watch on my arm and the person created the watch so that it would solve the problem of me not knowing the time outside of my house and so every time the watch does what the watch is supposed to do it fulfills its purpose and solves my problem somebody created clothes oh y'all should have said amen there if not it would have been a rough Sunday morning somebody created clothes and the clothes solved the problem called nudity and every time you wear your clothes And the clothes do what the clothes are called to do. It solves the problem of somebody seeing what they ain't supposed to see. What am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you in this room that the fact that you're not six feet under this morning and the fact that you're not dead somewhere and the fact that God left you in the earth for such a time as this is the perfect example that tells me that there is still a problem out there somewhere that only your life can solve. But the problem is is that most of the church is good problem seers. They're not good problem solvers. We have trained a whole generation of people to be great at seeing problems but never solving the problems they see. And then we want to complain about the world. Y'all ain't ready for me today. We want to complain about it, and we want to post about it, and we want to get on other people about it, and God keeps saying, no, stop complaining, stop posting. I brought the problem to your attention because if I let you see it, that's your clue that you just might be called to solve the problem I let you see. What problem is God bringing to your doorstep over and over and over again that you keep denying and pushing away? Perhaps the Lord sent me this morning to tell you that that problem is not really a problem. It's purpose in disguise. What would the world look like if the church decided to stop being Pharisees? Why do you say Pharisees, Pastor Josh? If you notice, Jesus never had one on his team. He, ne he never, of all the disciples, none of them are Pharisees. Why? Because Pharisees are good problem seers. They're just not good problem solvers. And God says, for kingdom business, I can't afford just to have a bunch of problem seers on my team. I got to get some people that know how to solve something if there's a problem. And I feel like I'm in a church this morning that has stepped and crossed over into a new season. And you're not the same person you were. And you're ready to say, God, if this is my purpose and this is my destiny, bring on the problem. Because if you brought the problem, 
problem to me, then greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. And if you be for me, what can be against me? Praise be to God who always causes us to triumph no matter the size of the problem. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? You need passion and you need a problem. And when you get the passion and decide to solve the problem, you have just stumbled in to purpose. Pastor Josh, why did you take your introduction to talk to us about purpose, passion, and problems? Because ladies and gentlemen, that is the backdrop of the text I bring before you this morning. That John 2, before it's ever known as a text of miracle, it is first a text of problem. In fact, you wouldn't even know about John 2 if John 2 didn't start off with as a problem. Can I be deep? Some of you don't even know, but the only reason God let the problem happen is because there's a miracle. Oh, come on somebody, get there with me. The, the only reason God didn't, he didn't author it, but the only reason he allowed it is because there is something just on the other side of this uh, that will rename your story. It will make the story look completely different. That's why if you, can't, if you can't run from this thing, you've got to endure this thing knowing that if I can keep on moving and keep staying and keep praising and keep coming and keep worshiping, if I can endure, I can outlast the problem to see the miracle that was on the other side. Oh, it I talking to anybody this morning well I came to tell somebody your miracles closer than what you think if you won't give up in the problem God says hang on baby here comes a miracle this whole text is a text of problem because our text says that at this at this wedding in Cana of Galilee that there is a problem and the problem is, is that they have run out of wine. They have run out. They have run out of wine. That's a problem at a wedding. And anybody who's ever been near a bride knows there's problems that happen at weddings. Come on, somebody. There is a problem at a wedding. And if you really study the wedding, you'll realize, can, can I go deep this morning? That, that at every wedding, every wedding can be broken down into two categories. And every wedding, there is ceremony, and then there is the covenant aspect of the wedding. There is the celebration, the ceremony, and the covenant aspect. There is ceremony, and there is covenant. And what I'm really trying to say is, in every room like this, there are two sets of believers. There are ceremony believers. And then there are covenant believers. There are ceremony believers who only come for what the experience can give them. I'm going to preach it whether you like it or not. Y'all don't scare me a bit. There are people that come to church for the experience. They come for the lights. They come for the song. They come for what the preacher might get. And here's how you know if your ceremony is that if you liked one song but you didn't like the other because it didn't hit your preference. 
or, or, or if you show up to church and realize that your favorite preacher ain't preaching and you decide to sneak out the back hoping nobody ever saw you, you might be a ceremony believer. Because here's what I know about ceremony believers. They like the experience, but they don't want the intimacy. Let me say it like, ceremony believers settle for the experience without coming into the intimacy. But there is a moment in your life uh, as a believer where you decide that experience doesn't cut it anymore. Ceremony's not enough uh, for me to get by. Ceremony won't take me to see my kid get saved. Ceremony's not enough to see me get to the next level in God. And when you get to that place uh, where you realize that ceremony ain't enough, you'll realize there is a next level of relationship with God and it's called covenant. And when you come in the covenant you realize that there's everything you would ever desire know or need in God I dare somebody in this room to step out of religion and to step out of ceremony and to make up your mind for your family we coming into covenant this year baby God he is a covenant God uh, you know what I learned about ceremony the longer you do it the more numb you get to covenant Ceremony will trick you to thinking you got something you really didn't get. But here's how you know, is that if you do ceremony long enough, you'll go to your barrel one day, try to find joy, peace, a prayer life. Come on, somebody. And when you reach in, you'll realize that ceremony didn't give you what you thought you were getting. But here's the beauty of covenant, is that if you have a covenant relationship with God, union with Christ himself, you can come in empty and realize that you're attached to a source that never runs dry. That's what covenant people know. They know that in their weakness, he's strong. So God, life took some things out of me. A situation took some stuff away from me. I went through some tough things, but God, I might be empty, but every place I'm empty, you're so full that you can fill the gaps in my life. Is there anybody thankful for a covenant God who knows how to fill the gaps even when you run dry? You know what I learned about covenant people? Covenant people come into a revelation that they realize that they will get more from attachment than they ever will effort. I, I grew up, can I, can, let me just wax poetic for a second. I grew up in one of them real strict churches. They should have called my church no. They should have called my church, because can I do it? No. Can I wear it? No. Can I go there? No, 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 just no church. Where you go, church? No church. And at the same time, they would put this stuff on us, these yokes of bondage on us, and then have the audacity to look at us and go, be holy. And, and I would sit there and say, be holy. So I would work my hardest to perform hoping that if I read my Bible enough and I sang loud enough and I danced hard enough, God just might bless me and he just might love me enough to take care of a situation. But baby, that's not the love of God. The love of God ain't based on my performance. It's based on, oh, come on somebody, it's based on his performance 2,000 years ago on a cross uh, that where he bore stripes on his back, uh, a crown of thorns on his head, two nails in his hands, and said it is finished. Baby, I ain't got to perform. I just got to be in covenant. And if I'm in covenant, I 
I get everything he's paid the price for. Oh, is there anybody thankful for Jesus this morning? I realize that be holy is hard if I try to do holy outside of him. But if I can learn to be a covenant person and attach myself to what is already holy, it won't be long. Come on, somebody. It won't be long before holiness gets in me as I remain in what's already holy. Well, how can you say that? I feel like preaching. How can you say that? He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And apart from me, you can do nothing. There is a benefit in being connected to Christ because you get all you need to get to be all your called to be at the wedding they have run out of wine in the ceremony they ran out and all of a sudden somebody got wise to the point and said wait a second if we have run out maybe just maybe I heard that Jesus was invited to this wedding and since we've tried everybody else, because why, why do we do that? Why do we try everybody else and everything else before we go to Jesus? I, the Bible says that Jesus was invited to this wedding. And I used to preach it that Jesus came after the crisis. But then I realized, according to the text, that, that he was amongst them when the problem broke out. It's just that they never thought to seek him in the problem as they should have. So I asked, so I asked the text the question, where is Jesus in a crisis? He's in the invitation. Where, where is Jesus in the problem? He's in the invitation. What you don't even know right now is he is closer to your issue, closer to your broken heart than you ever know or would understand. But he must be invited so that he can be involved. Somebody said this is a job for Jesus. Let's get Jesus involved. And so they brought Jesus. And I could preach that, that this is a job for Jesus. But I think there's some people in the room who already know that what you're going through ain't a job for them. It's a job for him. And so in the middle of the crisis, the problem, he now comes because he was invited. Watch this. They went from omnipresence to manifested presence through an invitation. Oh, don't miss that. I said they went from his omnipresence to the manifested presence through an invitation. I wonder what Jesus you're not seeing because you haven't asked to see him. And so he comes, and I'm thinking as I'm reading the text, he's going to come and get met by the bride or the groom or somebody like the chief of the feast. But the first person he comes in contact with at the wedding is his mama. <laughs> he sees his mama. I thought to myself, why not the bride? Why not the groom? Why not the master of the feast? But I would suggest to you that he came because they needed him bad enough. But he does the miracle because she knows him well enough. Yeah. 
be, be, because you don't even know it, but there is an advantage to having Jesus as Lord. You, you have the upper hand, come on somebody, in every situation of your life. Uh, some of us don't even understand that cancer is not bigger than Jesus. Uh, the sickness is not bigger than Jesus. The problem is not bigger than Jesus. Uh, that you have the upper hand. That anytime you know him like you know him through covenant, you can say this battle is not mine. Oh, hallelujah. This battle belongs to the Lord. So cancer meet Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, me cancer. Come on, somebody. Oh, God says, if you can, introduce me to it and watch me be greater than the it that has come against me. She knows him like nobody else knows him. And because she knows him like nobody knows him, she says, you got to do some stuff for me. And before you go, well, Pastor Josh, how is that theologically sound doctrine? How can you tell me I can place a demand on God in a situation? I'm telling you, you can. Well, how can I place a demand on God? He's God. No, you can't place a demand on him, but you can place a demand on him through his word. That, that, that if you're trying to get some stuff done, because the next thing she says to him is, she says to him, she says to him, son, you got to do some stuff. He looks at her and says, woman, time out. Don't ever call your mama woman. I grew up with one of them real, real strict Pentecostal mamas. My mama, no. My mama wasn't Pentecostal. My mom was Pentecostal. She, she had them go-go gadget arms. You know, the ones that can reach two, three rows in front, still smack you in the back of the head? Shh, quiet, knock it off. You know, one of those mamas. Uh, if I would have ever thought to call my mama woman, I would have been picking myself up off the floor, and it wouldn't have been from being slain in the spirit. See, he says, woman, my time ain't come yet. And the next thing out of her mouth is, whatever he says to you, do it. How does she get him to do the stuff? That, it's, that, that it doesn't seem like he even wants to do or wants to be a part of. She knew the secret of covenant and she knew the secret of using his word. That you can get to some places in life and it doesn't seem like anything's happening. But if you begin to remind God of what he already said. Come on somebody. Of what he already said. You all, oh, some of you need to remind God this morning. You said you'd heal my body. You said you'd touch my family. You said you'd renew my mind. No God, it ain't me. This is your word telling you who you are supposed to be in my life and I found something out uh, that if you learn how to use the word of God not only does the devil leave but God comes oh y'all ain't saying nothing I said if you learn to use this word every demon will run and every angelic host uh, will come to your aid uh, because you understand the power of the word of God in your life uh, I wish I had about a hundred people who could give God some crazy praise if you still know this book uh, the B-I-B-L-E has power power she said you got to do it because I've watched you do it and I know what you're able to do and I will place a demand on you based upon what I have seen and read and know and he all of a sudden changes the whole scope whatever he says to you do it he is bound to his word and bound to his character because he is not a man that he should lie 
I'm finishing here. And so, in one moment, she says she's got to do it. He says, it's not my time, but you knew the secret of covenant. And now I'm about to work in this thing. She says, before he gets ready to work, let me tell you the key word of getting him to do it. It's whatever. Because you are allowed to talk to him about what? You are not allowed to tell him how. Your prayer life can tell him what? But when it comes time for God to release the miracle, you are not entitled to tell him how he's going to heal you, bless you, or move in your life. And so... She gets to the place where she understands that sometimes in order to get solution, you have to be willing to part ways with your opinion. Some of us aren't getting miracles and breakthroughs because we are telling God what and how. God, heal me, but do it like this. Bless me, but do it like that. See, see how quiet it is? What if I told you that if you would just release the how back to God, God would do it a lot quicker than what you would even believe or know because you got to get a whatever in your spirit in 2022 that says, God, whatever you want to do, however you want to do it, with whoever you want to do it with, God, I open up my heart, my soul, and my spirit and trust you enough to say that if you have already gotten involved, it was going to turn out for my good. And so the stage is set for purpose to be released. A bridge gets built for his involvement. And the bridge is not the miracle. The bridge is obedience. Because when faith and obedience lock arms, miracles happen. You can play soft. And now, Jesus says, I'm going to show this house how I release purpose and the text says that he does not go to the bride or the bridegroom he doesn't leave and go to the vineyard watch this he doesn't go outside the house he looks for something already within it and like a movie the scene changes and he stops focusing on all the externals. And Jesus begins to set his gaze on six water pots of stone. Notice in the text, when it's miracle time, he only talks to two types of people. Vessels and servants. because that's the only title you're allowed to seek in 2022. Servants and vessels. Because Jesus is trying to tell us that if he can find a servant and if he can find a vessel, there will be miracles in the house. So when God re releases your purpose, he's looking for you to take up the mantle of one or two things, servant and vessel. And so everybody else is looking for the grapes in the vineyard and how's he going to do it? But for some reason, 
he is caught in a blank stare looking at six water pots of stone. He can't stop looking at it. Can you see him? He's walking towards these pots. The pots that everyone, everybody else passed by and looked over. The ones that nobody paid attention to, they've caught his stare. Because what is it about Jesus? That he will look past the way people treat you and what happened to you and still call you qualified for purpose. Six water pots of stone. Six, six, six. Powerful six is the number of man, which means that when God gets ready to release purpose, he's going to use a man. He's going to find a woman. That's why if you're breathing in this room and you're a man or you're a woman, you're always eligible for God to do something through you for somebody else. Oh, do you understand? God has always been looking for a six. Why? Because six leads to seven and seven leads to eight. Seven is God's number, but eight is the beginning. It always starts with a yielded man or a yielded woman because yielded men and yielded women come into God and God takes them into new beginnings. It always starts with a six. Six water pots huh, of stone. They're not bejeweled, gold, or bedazzled. Ordinary, normal stone pots. And that's for everybody in the room who doesn't feel like you have much to offer God. That you feel too ordinary and too normal. And in God, if you knew my background, God says, I still got my eyes on you. Six water pots of stone here it is of the manner of the purification of the jews these were the pots that everybody else put their dirty hands and their dirty feet in before they came in the wedding these are the pots in the room who were tainted from outside sources help me do it holy ghost and there are some of us in this room this morning who say there's no way he would ever want to use me. There's no way he would ever want what I have. It's too dirty. There's some of us in this room, we know we've got purpose, but we've been through some stuff. And we know how wrong we were. And we know how dirty it was. And we know how sinful the moment was. And we know what it did to the water. And we think to ourselves, oh God, if you can get past the outside part of the vessel, certainly if he ever looks on the inside, he would never want this. I'm too dirty. I'm too sinful. I'm too messed up. There's no way he would ever want this. And yet the text says, that in the midst of all these swirling opinions and all these problems, his eyes are not just at the vessel, but he is looking directly at the water. And he's saying, I know what you went through. And I know the dirt. And I know the trouble. They may not know it, but I know it. I know your struggles and I know your failures. I know that little lust thing. I know it. I know it. And I know it. And even though I know it, I still want it. I came to tell you that no matter how dirty you are, he still wants what you have. They may not know the fight, but I've 
found this out with God, God wastes nothing. And so he looks at something they would have never picked or used and he says the definitive statement of the text. He says, fill the water pots with water. When I read it, it made no sense. The problem is not that they need water. The problem is that they have run out of. They need wine. But Jesus wants water. Maybe it's because Jesus knows something about us that we don't know about ourselves. Maybe he knows that their wine is in our water. Maybe he knows that it looks like water today and it might look like dirty water, but here's what he knows, that if you will give him the water, because God will never ask you for what you don't possess, but will always ask you for what you already have and demand that you give him all of it. He says, I want, I want all of what you have. I know how dirty it is. I know how messed up it is. I know nobody would ever want to drink from that. But your objective is not transformation. Your objective is surrender. That if you will give me your water, I'm about to take your water. And I'm about to... Turn, oh hallelujah, your water. Come on somebody, I'm going to take that dirty stuff and I'm going to take that nasty stuff that nobody ever thought could be used and I'm going to take that dirty water and I'm just about to turn because God told me to tell you that he's just about to turn some things around in your life. He's just about to turn a situation and a problem. Can I speak to the United States of America for a second? United States, I just came prophetically to say, God, it's just about to turn this nation around. God is just about to loose revival. He's just about to transform a nation, not by might or by power, but by the spirit of the living God. He's just about to turn. He's going to turn it. He's going to turn it, and he's going to turn it. He's going to turn your unsaved son around. He's going to turn your body around. He's going to turn your mind around. He's going to turn it. He's going to turn it. Come on, if you believe it, I dare you to give God some praise. Uh, if you believe, he's going to turn. God said, this is how I do purpose. I get all of what you got, and I turn it into what they need. He's the only God that can take suicidal tendencies and turn it into a life-given testimony. He's the only God that can take a chaotic mind and turn its mouth to speak peace to somebody else. He's the only God. 
He's the only God that can take an unhealed body, heal it, and then take that same hand that was unhealed to lay on the dog. Hallelujah. The head of somebody else unhealed and bring healing. He can turn. He says, I will turn it if you give it to me. And in one moment of the surrender, the exchange of purpose in the hands of God, God turns it. The water is turned to wine. Watch this. The problem gets fixed in the turning. And now God is teaching us that transformation happens best when it happens from the inside out. Nobody knew what was going on inside except Jesus and the vessel and the water. And then there came a moment, I'm done, where he said, draw some out now. God knows when to draw out of you. God knows when to make a withdrawal on his deposit. And so God set some people over top of the vessel who knew when the perfect time would be to make the withdrawal. That's why you got to stay submitted to pastors and leaders and not get too crazy and not think that you can do this thing by yourself. Because if there's anybody that God has set over you, he has set some gifts. We learned it last week over top of your life. Uh, and they're watching the transformation and listening for the voice of God. And at the right moment, God speaks and they draw. Do you know how we cry as a staff and pray for you every week? Because we carry the responsibility to help draw out of you what God has placed on the inside of you. And we take it so serious. He said, draw it out now and take it too. I don't have time, but I could show you the process of transformation, the draw out and the take it too. God doesn't change you so you can just say you've been changed. God doesn't bless you so you can just say you've been blessed. All that transformation is so you can be taken to somewhere or somebody. We should never lack for children's workers or nursery workers. We should never lack uh, for outreach opportunities because everything God does and he pulls out has to be taken somewhere for it to be valid in purpose. Draw it out, take it too. I'm done. And the man said, wait a second. Let me taste this. Where'd you get this from? The Bible says he took a sip. And he said, wait a second. This doesn't even make sense. That's not how this thing's supposed to go. You're supposed to bring the best and then the worst. But what I just tasted was so good the purpose that I just tasted was so good. The anointing that I just tasted was so powerful. The love I just tasted was so incredible that there's only one way I can describe it. 
is that normally they, they bring the best then the worst but you oh hallelujah you uh, have saved uh, the best for now and God told me to tell you that if you'll let him pull some purpose out of you if you'll let him transform you God says with your purpose uh, connected to this house uh, God is about to release some things from your life uh, that's gonna make a family it's gonna make your co-workers uh, it's gonna make a city stop and say that they have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Is there anybody ready for God to release some purpose out of your life? Lift your hands. Jump up on your feet. Open up your mouth. This is a release moment. Hallelujah. Come on, lift your hands in the room. God is about to release. of our city, for the sake of our families, for the sake of your job, God transform me, pierce my water. I called up a professor former professor of mine at the University of Maryland, Dr. Hyam Lappin, because he said, this wine wasn't just wine, it was good wine. You've saved good wine. And I asked the professor, what's the difference between the wine and the good wine? He said, regular wine has a lot of water in it. But good wine has little to no water in it. It reminded me of John the Baptist who said, I must decrease and he must increase hear me calvary i am thankful for azusa street we needed it i am thankful for the healing revivals of the 40s and 50s we needed it i am thankful for brownsville revival lord knows we needed it but hear me god is not finished and God is not done and the Holy Spirit told me to tell a church get ready I'm about to do something in the earth that you have never seen or known but I need your water so what is the prophetic prerequisite to see God do what he's never done it's simple this morning. God says, I want your water. Many of us have given our hearts. Few of us have laid down our lives. There is a moment in your faith, Pastor John, where you say, no more sitting on the sidelines. How, how, oh, how awful would it be to be in a house like this and never contribute to God's glory being known through it. How, how tragic would it be to hold on to water that he could turn to wine to change something out there? There is a moment where you give God everything you have for the rest of your life. We're going to help you release purpose. But the mandate is you must release your water.
So my altar call this moment is simple. What are you holding on to that belongs to him? What gift, what anointing, what talent, what treasure? God said, give me your water and I'll turn it. If I'm talking to you, slip both hands up to heaven. This is the moment of radical and real surrender. You know how we take ground in this next season? By giving him the stuff he needs to turn it into what they need. How do we take ground? Is when we say, God, all that we are belongs to you. Jesus, I belong to you. Holy Spirit, I belong to you. Every gift, every anointing, every talent. If I'm talking to you in this room, my talent, my treasure, God, all that I am. I laid down more than my heart. I laid down my life. If I'm talking to you, slip those hands up as high as you can get them. And I want you with your own mouth this morning to say, God, you can have it all. You can have it all. Come on, begin to tell him, God, everything. And begin to list every gift, every talent, every anointing that you carry. God, I give you this. I give you my family. I give you this, Lord. I give you my singing gift. I give you my playing gift. I give you my gift to reach children. I give you my gift to touch lives. I give you my evangelistic gift, God. I give you, Lord, my gift of intellect. I give it to you. Everything that I am. Come on, God says, give me your water. Give me your water. Give me your water. And I will turn, turn, turn into wine. Come on now, with every hand lifted in a place of surrender come on as pastor john sings one final time i want you with a surrender heart uh, come on to open up your mouth and worship uh, we believe revival belongs to those who relinquish their water sing it pastor john This message is prophetic in nature. It is the last stop, God says, before he sends revival. The window is open and God says, I need full surrender from my people. And I will do with your life what you could never do in your own strength. I will come through for you in ways you never dreamed of. I will never ask you, the Lord says, for what you do not possess. I will only ask you for what you already have and have not given. The moment for radical surrender is here. People not entrenched in compromise or mediocrity, but laid down their lives knowing that one day it'll be more than a life. It'll be a crown at the feet of Jesus. And I want to hear, come on somebody, well done, good and faithful servant. And let me tell you what a good and faithful servant is. One who gives it all for the one who gave it all. Is there anybody in the room that's that surrender this morning?
before I release you, with every head bowed, every eye closed, Father, I have said exactly what you wanted me to say. This house will be a house of miracles because it's a house that releases purpose. And it was a house of purpose because, Lord, people are giving their lives, their water, Lord, what they possess. But you're in this room this morning, and perhaps you're far from God, and you didn't know that you needed a Savior, nor did you know that this Jesus loved you enough to die for you and give his life for you. My friends, tomorrow is not promised. We only have today. And the truth is God loves you so very much that he gave his only son to die on a cross just for you. You may not have much, but my message today tells you that you can be far from God and give yourself to him and him transform your life. So if you're in this room today and you're far from God, you're not living where you need to be, not close to God, you couldn't call him Savior or Lord even if you wanted to, my friends, today, this moment's for you. If you're in this room and you need to get it right with God and you say, Pastor Josh, pray for me. Hands are already going up. Pray for me, Pastor Josh. I got to get it right today. I got to see a change today. On the count of three, slip both hands up. One, two, three. If I'm talking to you, slip a hand up. Hands are going up. Hands are going up. That's okay. That's right. Praise God. Praise God. I'm going I'm to give you 10 more seconds. Praise God. Hands are still going up. I see them. I see them. Don't put them down. Keep them up. Praise God. Praise God. We're going to do something special. And if you've got to bring somebody with you, bring somebody with you. But the truth is, all of us made that decision at one point in time. And we all walked down an altar and gave our hearts to Jesus, gave our lives to him. I'm going to invite you, if you have your hand up, just slip out of your seat. If you've got to bring somebody with you, bring somebody. Our prayer team is going to join me here. And on the count of three, I want you to come. They're already coming. Come on. If you raised your hand, come. One, two, three. If you raised your hand, come join me. Come join me. Come join me. Come on, right here at the front with Pastor Josh. Right here at the front with Pastor Josh. No shame in your game. No shame in your game. Come on, we're not here to embarrass you. Come on, if you raise your hand, meet me right here in the front. In the front, right here by Pastor Josh. That's right. That's right. Keep coming. I bet if you keep clapping, they'll keep coming. Come on. Come on, there's room for everybody. There's room for everybody. Come on. How many of there's room for everybody at the cross? Come on, that's it. They're still coming. They're, come on, keep clapping. They're still coming. They're still coming. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Come on, praise God. I'm going to give you 10 more seconds. Thank you for joining us for today's message. You can continue to be a part of all that God is doing here at Calvary Christian Center. You can text to give at 386-866-3060, or you can give at calvaryfl.com give. We would love for you to subscribe to our podcast and also for you to share this podcast with your community, your family, and your friends. Again, thank you for joining us.